Sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hey, uh, I'm here with uh, my good pal, Aaron, just the two of us again today, pilot and co-pilot. I'm not sure which seat either one of us is in, but uh, uh, but here we are, Aaron, on a spring day in Middle Tennessee. Ah, such uh, nice weather the last few days. I went hiking yesterday. Did you? Awesome. I, I did. I did yard work myself, but hiking would have been, I think, a little bit more enjoyable. Well, I Although was perhaps doing, not as satisfying. I had the satisfaction of a job completed when I got done. How was the how was the hike? Well, the hike was great, especially because I had done my domestic goddess work before that. So I had mopped all the floors in the house, cleaned uh-huh. the kitchen, deep cleaned the kitchen. Yeah. So, yeah, I felt that was my reward, going on a walk <laughs> by myself <laughs> over some hills and down uh, to a river. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you've had some changes uh, at the house. Uh, required you, among other things, to get some furniture. And uh, wow. Samson brother, who would bought a house fully furnished uh, and found his wife wasn't enthusiastic about all the furniture, offered it to you. We went. Oh, I love that wife. I don't know her name, but uh, <laughs> good, good lady. She's yeah, yeah. And and I conveniently had a medical excuse when it came down to moving day and picking up that furniture. Uh, I was under doctor's orders not to lift anything. <laughs> well, you did plenty uh, getting us there and having a U-Haul and brought your grandson and me and your grandson. It's just, yeah. why did it have to be in like the basement level? You can't call it the basement level. I mean, I don't know what you call it when it's a lower level, but, you know, looks out over a beautiful lake. But it yeah, still yeah, required yeah. all stairs the oh. whole time. <laughs> and and I really didn't think about how, since I haven't moved much since COVID, I had the yeah. whole fatigue thing for a long time. This was my first day out of the house, carrying couches and mattresses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I sore. felt for you. I knew you were going to be. And my grandson, who's 20 years old, uh, still, I'm sure, woke up stiff the next day because you guys worked hard. Well, he's only 130 pounds. So there's something about I was still supposed to be the guy walking yeah. backwards up all the stairs. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, but amazing. my thighs are huge now. They're amazing. My thighs, my glutes. Come on, give that yeah. ass a slap. It's looking good. <laughs> I'm not sure who I just put that out to, but most of you, it wasn't you. So okay. don't slap my ass. <laughs> Interesting that you said most of you. Well, uh, I, I'm not, I don't know who's out there. Maybe a slap <laughs> from someone would be fine. I don't want to limit, limit my options completely. <laughs> thanks for taking note of my carefully crafted words <laughs> yeah 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 so i'm excited about today we are getting to hear an interview with you and your brother yeah and that is something and i have known your brother for a long time it really it wasn't till i started listening to the interview that i'm like i know your brother yeah he, i i worked with him but didn't know any of this yeah, yeah. So that was yeah. 
fascinating to get to do that, uh, to put those pieces together. So yeah, how was re- it for you? Oh, it was wonderful. Um, I, this is such an inspiring story. I wanted to do it on the podcast for the simple reason that, uh, you know, we do a lot of talk on the podcast about the brain and we bring in experts and we talk a lot about neurology and we talk about neuroplasticity and the fact that in recovery, we are actually rewiring the brain. We're building new neural pathways. And uh, my brother is somebody who had to recover, not from an addiction, but he, uh, he had to recover something that the doctors told him he would not recover. He would not get back. And that was uh, he suffered a catastrophic stroke and he was told he would never be able to speak again. Uh, and my brother does not take uh, no for an answer. He's a hard worker. He's a researcher. And uh, he went. It's an inspiring story. And what I love is you worked with Dan. Of course, you weren't in the same, you know, you were in different parts of the country. So your contact was by phone and you were unaware of, you know, the magic and the miracle behind those conversations because it wasn't even apparent to you. Oh man. In the interview when, when he's talking about stuff, I'm thinking, wait a minute, I was there during some of those parts and yeah, had no idea. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. but we don't want to give too much more away because you get into yeah. that. So, let's jump into it and then we'll talk more afterwards. Okay. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Dan, thank you so much for uh, joining me for the conversation. I can't tell you how cool it is to have my brother on the show. Yeah, I've I've been looking forward to it. I really have. All right. So uh, you have a fantastic story that I can't wait for people to hear because we talk so much on this show about how recovery involves rewiring the brain, we really rely on the miracle of neuroplasticity. And so often guys kind of lapse into this, you know, this fear that maybe my brain can never change. Maybe I can never develop a new way of thinking. Right. And uh, you were faced with, uh, you know, an an amazing challenge where either you were going to have to learn to rewire your brain, either that miracle was going to have to happen or life was going to be over. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you're living proof that the brain, that neuroplasticity is real. Yes, it is. Okay. All right. So uh, let's back up a little bit. You are a, you know, you're a, you're a former cop. You were a DEA agent. You uh, had a lot of responsibility on the police force. Uh, You ran the police academy. You worked undercover with the DEA. You learned in uh, during your 
law enforcement career, how to build and keep a file, how to be very orderly. Uh, so you have, you have a, a marvelous gift of communication and organization, right. which were essential, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, you retire from your law enforcement career and you know that your big brother is uh, in the engineering business, but I tell you, we're kind of floundering because we have communication gaps and business is growing, but we've got balls are being dropped everywhere. Right. And I need somebody, you know, and I do not have the gift of administration and I know that you do. Right. So, uh, I say, you know, how would you like to, how would you like to keep working? And you come on with, uh, our engineering support team and, uh, and you take charge, you become the desk sergeant, uh, the, the desk sergeant. I'm sorry. And uh, you begin to make relationships with the clients, relationships with the engineers. You build files. You build systems. Uh, you bring order out of chaos in a business that is, and here's the nature of business, in a business that is cyclical. Yes. So, right? So yeah. we, So it's feast or famine. So we have bursts of a lot of work. And then we have these seasons where there's no work and you're a very responsible guy. Uh, and you take ownership of what's going on. And I can sense that even more than me, I get this sense you're feeling the stress when we get into, you know, when business begins to tail off a little bit, money gets tight or when something goes wrong in the field, you're on top of it, you're working your ass off to do whatever you can possibly do to try to even it out. And I know you're carrying a lot of stress from the job. And I'm sure that you also had some stresses going on at home, right? right you got sure teenage yeah. kids, you got all that shit going on, right? Right. But, but you rapidly become, you know, I, I kind of, as far as the clients are concerned, I kind of disappear from view because they're talking to Dan. Dan's the man, right? Right. Okay. Um, and I'm enjoying it because you took a lot of the pressure off of me. And then one day I get this very cryptic, like a two sentence email from you saying that something has happened and that you had taken about an hour to type the email. Can you tell us what had happened that morning? Yeah. Um, what happened, uh, it started on a Saturday morning. Um, I'm just working on a simple project at the house, and uh, I needed to put a, a, CB, a PVC pipe through the wall, and it took me about a half an hour to figure out how to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. What I was having was a stroke, and I didn't realize it. And the sensation that I had was that uh, it felt like I had glue or, or gum on the bottom of, of each foot. I remember sitting down and looking at the bottom of my shoes. And, of course, I couldn't understand or rationalize because I was having a stroke. And I went mm -hmm. to the small hospital up here, and uh, – uh, the ER was busy. Uh, the doctor was busy. Uh, of course, I couldn't describe my symptoms very well because I'd had a stroke, but he had never t 
talked to me before. Um, and I remember asking him if I had had a stroke and he said, no, because a stroke only affects one side of the body, uh, not the lower or upper extremities. That's 99% of the time that's true. I just had to happen to have the one that affected the lower extremities. So mm. I got sent back home. And probably when I sent you that email, um, I was at the beginning of the second stroke. Okay. Um, wow. And, and I was actually working. I sent you that email. You may have looked at it in the morning, but I sent it to you uh, on a Sunday night. I was mm. corresponding with some clients and all of a sudden realized that I couldn't read or write. Um, and I was having another stroke, so I couldn't understand what was happening. So I went to bed and uh, woke up at four o'clock in the morning in the midst of a real big stroke. Yeah. So describe for us that sensation as you remember. What was it like? Um, well, Shay drove me to the hospital and the sensation I had, I remembered the, the big parsonage in Three Mile Bay that we lived in. And, and the sensation was like my brain was a huge house with all mm -hmm. the lights on and the lights were turning off and oh, I wow. couldn't stop it. But what I was losing was different brain functioning, brain functions. And they were okay. shutting down one after the other. So my brain was dying and I was oh. struggling to stay alive and turn the lights back on. Oh, man. How terrifying that must have been, Dan. It was extremely terrifying. Yeah. Um, and so when I got to the emergency room, of course, they put me in front of the doctor's station. That's where they put the people that might not make it. Um, and I remember the, the moment that the language center of my brain completely turned off. Mm. And so, you know, I still had my intellect, but language was completely gone. And I was trying to wrap my head around to understand what was going on. And I came, came to the logical conclusion that I was thinking in emotions. But what I was experiencing was raw intellect without the gift of language. Wow. Wow. Intellect without the gift of language. Right. Uh, until it's gone, we don't appreciate how crucial language is right. to normal function. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So now you you can't freaking talk. Well, do you know what? Um, communication really wasn't the big issue. I mean, that was, mm -hmm. that was the result, but mm -hmm. what I lost was the internal monologue that we all have. That's the running mon monologue of thoughts that run all the time while we're awake. I lost the internal okay. monologue. So if you don't have that verbal monologue for the thoughts, you lose the thoughts and the thoughts become nothing. Really? Yeah. It was, it was that severe. So, wow. So you lose the, so what's life now? Is it just kind of a, a steady hum? Uh, is it just one sequence after another and you're just living from moment to moment? 
Um, <laughs> you know, I think what separates us from the animals, of course, we have spirits, but it's not just opposing thumbs, it's language. And mm-hmm. before I had my stroke, I thought the, the sole purpose of language was for communication with other people. But that's not that's not the case. We we need the internal monologue or the inner dialogue so that uh, we need it for critical thinking. We need it for problem Mm. solving. We need it uh, for awareness. Um, And so once you lose that, uh, you become you become a spectator. I remember. And this was probably a year or so into my my recovery, having a conversation with you. And I felt like I was at this point, I was starting to talk a little bit. I, I could get thoughts across. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, but I, I told you it was like uh, being on the in the town uh, square or green in a in a in a fishbowl or a cage watching the world go on around me, but not being part of it. Mm hmm. And being ignored. That's what it was like. Um, Aphasia takes your primary language away from you. Um, Okay. And that's what this stroke produced in you. Aphasia, the loss of language. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, um, you know, you were a crucial part of the of the organization, the business that we had going, we had quickly to be able, fortunately, uh, not too long before then we'd hired an assistant from you. Business had grown to such uh, a degree that we had, you'd hired an old cop friend, a guy had worked with you undercover, right? Yeah. That was Kevin to step in. Yeah. We got, yeah. He got hired right after my stroke. Oh, I, you know, I'm thinking back and I thought Kevin was already there. So he had to catch up. Yeah. Yeah, and Kevin was so he was so excited to come work with me because we used to ride together, and I used to be a chatterbox. Uh, you were uh-huh. that, and uh, and I was fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I needed conversation. I all of the time I was a storyteller, and he showed yeah. up, and I was completely mute. And so what oh, we wow. did, what we did when he came on board, um, we had we had an office, and I would email him, and he he would email back. Luckily, my my ability to read and write came back. Yeah. Now, initially, you lost that. You not only couldn't you speak, but in those early, at least in the early few days, you couldn't right. even type, right? Right. Yeah. Reading and writing was the first thing to come back, or the first thing that I lost and the first thing to come back, but it came back slowly. So that's okay. how he and I communicated. He would answer the phone, take a good message, and then, uh, you know, ask me questions, I would type the answer, send them back, and then he would call the client back. And we just always wow. we always told the client that I was out of the office because I was pretty much out of the office. So <laughs> I checked with Dan who's out of the office right now. So yeah, that's how we yeah. solved that. Wow. Amazing. And he was I, just a great guy. In fact, I talked to him on the phone today. I called him. I hadn't talked to him in a while. Um. You know, a kind of guy that would just stay with me. Uh, there mm-hmm. was there was one day I, I had been working hard. I wanted to say something. I hadn't said anything in months, and mm. and uh, you know I had it all worked out. I had written it out. I guess we'll get to that part of the story later. But I, I remember finally 
saying whatever the sentence was. And I looked up and yeah. realized they had gone to the bathroom. <laughs> so, but when I when it came back, I sent him an email. I said, "Hey, Kev, I talked. You missed it." And he said, <laughs> "I missed it." Uh, but anyway, so the doctors. So finally, you go to see a doctor. You know, Shay, your sweet wife goes with you, and they give you the good news that you're going to recover quickly, and uh, all your faculties are going to come back. Right? No. No, no, no. That's not at all what they told you. No. They gave you a very grim prognosis. Yeah. What did the doctors tell you? Well, actually, I, I took our, our niece, Abby, with me uh, uh-huh. because I couldn't pose or answer questions. And Wow. And it was a specialist down in Syracuse who's a young guy. Uh, and he came in. When he walked in, I, I, I knew that he had bad news. Uh, uh-huh. and, and it was he didn't want to tell me. And he right. started out by asking me a series of questions. And once he got to the second or third question, I recognized it as questions that I used to ask people. We used to call it a suicide prevention hot sheet uh, yeah. by mental health workers, uh, determine whether or not I was yeah. suicidal. Uh, he told yeah. me that my brain was done healing, uh, that I would never mm. recover anything that I had lost. Uh, I would wow. never be conversational again. He encouraged me to get counseling uh, and to go on disability. Wow. Wow. It's done, he said. Right. Yeah. You're never going to be able to engage conversationally with the world again. The life that you knew is gone. Yeah. And you just have to reconcile to it. Yeah. And I had had just spent a year. I know what hell is. Hell is complete and utter isolation. Without God. Yeah. That's yeah. really, now that I look back, I was in hell because I wasn't reaching out to God at that point either. So not only yeah. was I by myself uh, yeah. physically, I was by myself because God was out of the equation. Yeah. Yeah. And how much had God been a part of the equation in the months and years before the stroke? Nate, I, I'm one of those guys that prays when I'm scared. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And and uh, um, I think I think Thomas is my favorite disciple. Yeah. Because I always started with my my prayers with I believe help my unbelief. And yeah. Then the sure, Lord's right. prayer. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, but no, I wasn't a praying guy. Yeah. I, yeah. I pretty much yeah. relied on myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that had worked up until this happened. Sure. More or less, right? Sure. You I know, mean, you'd my, gotten my life some shit, life. but you'd find your way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before my stroke, my, 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 my life was a wreck. And you know what? Um, before I had my stroke, there were times where I felt isolated. I isolated myself uh, uh-huh. because of my thoughts. Sure. Makes sense. And after I had my stroke, I realized really the reason I had the stroke was stress. And the reason I had stress was because of the way I thought. So I was Mm -hmm. responsible for that stroke, and it was my thoughts. The stroke isolated me because I lost language, but it was all caused by the way I think. It's all about thoughts. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So I love the fact that you listened to the doctor, you heard what the doctor has said, uh, but you did not just lay down and die. You didn't no. just say, all right, this is it. Right. You were determined to find a way back to connect with the world. The, the first three days, I sat in my recliner and cried. Yeah. Uh, and, and Nate, I was suicidal. Mm-hmm. You and I are both, I mean, I guess we're going to, uh, full disclosure, we're both children of suicide. Right, sure. Yeah. So it couldn't be right. an option. Right, right. Um, and then uh, I understood that I could not verbalize my thoughts. Mm-hmm. But then I had the idea that maybe I could verbalize someone else's thoughts. And uh, there was a bookshelf behind my uh, my recliner and grabbed one of dad's old Bibles and opened it up to Proverbs. Solomon was the wisest guy in the world. So I thought if I'm going to verbalize anybody's thoughts, I'll, I'll start with Solomon. Yeah. So you open up dad's big ass preacher Bible, right? I, I love the way you put that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right, right, that 10-pound Thompson chain, yep. okay, right? Yep. I did. Flip it near the middle, you pull out the Proverbs, and what do you start doing? Um, it took me close to a month before I could verbalize one sentence. Really? I had to be, it was a lot of determination. Uh, uh-huh. One word at a time. Right. And so... Strange, because at that point, I guess my primary language at that point was writing. I could write, but I couldn't speak. Right. Uh Um, And I couldn't think in words unless I was writing the words. And it's unless unless you've ever been where I'm coming from, you won't won't about understand that. But Uh um, so it was it, it was a long hard process. And, uh, I mean, I still haven't, I never had the type of voice that you had, but I had a pretty good speaking voice. Oh yeah, sure. I don't know if it will ever come back. And you know, it kind of people were always impressed with my voice. Um, and you know, when I first started reading out of the Bible, just, you know, hours, on one word to get it out and then the next word to get it out. Wow. Wow. Uh, But I eventually got so I could read a sentence and then I could read a verse. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's how I started talking again. Okay. You couldn't verbalize your own thoughts, but you could verbalize somebody else's thoughts with a ton of work and a ton of concentration. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. Right. All right. Okay. So once you could do that, what was the next step? Oh, I mean, I, I, I did, I did a lot of things. Well, I realized that I had no inner dialogue. Um, okay. You now let's say that you come home from, from the grocery store and you're unloading the car and it's about ready to rain and you see that you forgot to put your, your lawnmower away. Right. When you look at right. the lawnmower, the internal dialogue says, as soon as I put the groceries away, I'm going to go take care of the lawnmower. I didn't mm-hmm. have that. I had absolutely wow. no, no inner dialogue. Um, so I understood in order to have conversations, I needed to 
get my working memory back. That was probably the first domino that fell. I had okay. no, working me- uh, uh, no working memory. Okay. So I would, I would get in the car and drive and try to verbalize what I was seeing. Okay. Which was a lot of hard work. Um, and then I realized that I was starting to think in words, but I still had a hard time speaking. Mm-hmm. And I remembered, I think there was a, was there a guy named Mel Tillis who was a country Oh, sure, singer? sure. The stuttering con- uh, country star. Sure. He could sing, but he couldn't talk. Right. And right. I realized that I could sing. So I did, I sang it. I, I, I you sang. sang really. I sang. You sang before you spoke, right? And I'm not a good singer, but I sang. <laughs> Wait, what I was. Wow. Looking. Yeah. Amazing. You're still relying on Kevin to keep the office going. You're still relaying messages to him by text and typing. Right. Yeah. Well, I need. Yeah, I had to rely on him for any telephone communication. I could still yeah, work yeah, in yeah. the office. Um, right. Okay. And I worked hard to convert most communication with clients to emails. Um, oh, is that why everything went to email about that time? Oh, yes, it did. And, <laughs> and, if, and if Kevin was out of the office, I couldn't answer the phone. So right, I, would, right. I would listen to the uh, I would listen to the uh, the voicemail. And right. then I would email my response and I would. But I kind of liked having the, the paper chain anyhow. But, yeah, that, that, sure, right. that's why we converted. Okay. Well, that helped. That helped the files and chain of evidence and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Sure. Sure. So, what was your next step in developing uh, verbal communication? Um, you you know, Nate, I was. um, It it occurred to me that that I was an expert on the human brain. Mm Hmm. Because I was a successful owner operator of one for 55 years. And I really, (laughs) I was, I was, I was pretty sure that I could jerry rig it. You know, I'm some brace. I can't fix it, but I can make it work. Right. Okay. And so I thought, well, there's gotta be a way to jerry rig my brain. And something that I had forgotten from high school is the two hemispheres of the brain are not physically connected. And mm-hmm. the two hemispheres communicate really with right. like electrical charges. Um, and um, I understood that the two hemispheres were not communicating or not the way they should be. So it was time to rewire the brain. And it was actually, okay. it was on your birthday. Uh, 2017 it was on your birthday. Um, and I was, it was a, one of the hardest days I'd ever had. And, and I thought about, uh, um, you know, getting the two hemispheres communicating and Mm -hmm. I had heard about or found in my research about binaural beats. And so I grabbed, I grabbed some binaural beats called hemispherical synchronization. Okay. Uh, On YouTube. Yep. And, and it was late at night and I put the headphones on and the tones go from one ear to the other. 
But the first time mm-hmm. I did it, I physically felt the tones go across my brain back and forth. Oh, wow. Like it was sewing it back together. And I remember when the language sound of the brain turned back on again. Ugh. But it wasn't running very good. <laughs> but uh-huh. it was on. Yeah. And I yeah. Listened- the engine turned over. Yeah. And I listened to those for three or four hours and just cried, right. relieved. Yeah. I didn't want to go to sleep uh, because I was I was afraid that uh, I'd throw right. a if you, you know? Yeah. And so when I woke up the next day, I was a little foggy. I put the, the headset back on. And uh, so that, that's part of my regimen every day now. And it's just, it's neuroplasticity. It's just, right, right. You know, uh, help, helping these uh, these neural networks, uh, you know, change and grow and, and rewire, reorganize. So yeah, yeah. I started with that. Um, uh-huh. Now, it's it's interesting, you know, by the time this, I remember you called just screaming with excitement. Oh, yeah. that something had freaking happened to you, yeah. right? Yeah. That you could think it. Now, I, by the time that had happened, you already were speaking. You were talking. I would talk to you on the phone, and you were always apologizing because you felt like uh, you were slow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I would say, Dan, you were always such a fast talker. Now you're freaking normal. It's oh, easier that, that to easier- pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> Really because I didn't because because my brain wasn't working right. Right, right, right. But I was not aware of how much work you were going through to right. have a conversation. Later on, you described to me how you would do a conversation. Right. Give us that. T- talk, talk to me about describe the chalkboard and what you did to have a, oh, a conversation. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? That was good. And I forgot that step. Um. After I was after I started reading the Bible and I wanted oh right uh yeah I wanted to get back in the classroom right um, as a teacher right yeah I, I taught law for twenty two years I wanted to get back in the classroom um so I was I was at the point where I could read out loud but I couldn't verbalize my own thoughts and I mm-hmm. remembered my first classroom I had chalkboards on three walls. And I was I was the kind of teacher that wouldn't write out complete sentences, just key words, and I would cover the whole board. Right. It occurred to me if, and I actually did this, if I can't spontaneously express a thought, maybe right. I can write it and read it. And so mm-hmm. I visualized the old green chalkboard that I had with yellow chalk, and I would write the word, and then I would read it. Yeah. And when I first started, I had to do word by word by word. And then as I started to get some of my skills back, I would just, I would write down the keyword that I needed. So that would help me with conversation. But usually if I talk to you, I probably had notes and I have notes right now with this conversation. Really? Yeah. Because the working memory and the short-term memory is still impaired. So. And a lot but of I had no idea when we were having this conversation. To me, it's just a spontaneous conversation. Yeah. Can't believe I'm gonna talk to my brother, and I don't know you're reading an imaginary chalkboard <laughs> just just to stay in the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And you know, yeah. a lot of times you thought I was in the conversation, but I fell out of the car. But it was just <laughs> to talk to. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, eventually, I mean, you go to therapists and doctors who are trying to figure out what the hell you have done. Meanwhile, I think I think you told me a great story once about going to an aphasia support group. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I was, you know, I was, I was so lonely and nobody understood, yeah. nobody understood what I was going through. And there's an aphasia yeah. support group in Rochester, New York. It's the only one in the state. And I found them online. Uh, I couldn't call them on the phone. So I emailed. <laughs> and, um, so I, I get there. It's at a college and it's hosted yeah. by speech therapists and students yeah, um, and, and I was so excited. And I remember when I got there, I parked in front of the the, uh, uh, the front door because I couldn't walk in and ask where the aphasia support group was. Right, sure, right. And yeah. I couldn't call them on the phone. So right, I, right, right, right. Somebody looked out and saw me and came out and said, right. Are right, you right. "The aphasia support group." And I was, yeah, <laughs> I was so excited. You nodded, yes, okay, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> I remember we walked in the room and I saw a circle of chairs, which is familiar to me. Yeah. Um, but a, a face of support group is, is a group of guys sitting in a circle, not talking to each other. <laughs> We're all glad to be there, but we can't talk to each other. Oh, so, man. The therapists talk to each other. Right. And, and they, they kind of talked to us and then we left. So, oh man! But at least I was—I I sat next to a firefighter, a retired firefighter. Yeah. So we really yeah. wanted to swap stories, but we couldn't. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing! The Samson meeting from hell, where you want to share but you can't. <laughs> well, right? I'm picking AA myself, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Unbelievable. So, but anyway, so you recover. An ability to communicate. I mean, Mariah, you do what they say cannot be done. It's still a work in progress, but yes, I am. Nate, I was I was told I would frustrate them. Yeah. And they would say, the very first thing you have to do is accept that you have aphasia and you will never recover. You have to accept that. Yeah. Uh, but these are also, and they're good folks. But there are also right. people who don't understand exactly why aphasia happens. And if they don't understand aphasia and they tell me that I'll never recover, that doesn't make any sense to me. I have the right. perfect laboratory. I know aphasia better than they do. And so right. um, I just I tried to think outside the box. And intuitively, I remember when I was a kid how bad I stuttered. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, you were a stuttering kid. I remember. I was. Sure. There was no. There was no speech class. Right. So. Right. You I, had to learn. I you did. taught yourself not to stutter. Sure. I did. I did. So I just once I once I fully understood that it's about neuroplastic two things. The very first thing is thoughts. The thoughts have to be positive. And that's okay. I mean, every day, you know. Uh, what's, what's the scripture? Whatever, whatever is good. Uh, Philippians yes. four eight, right? Yeah, whatever yeah. is pure, right, right. lovely. Think on these things. That's the most important thing, right there. Because if I, if my thoughts are not right, that creates the stress, and then the okay. stress exacerbates the problem. Um, right, right. So I mean, more than anything else, that's and I have to work on that constantly yeah. every day. Um. And this is where aphasia kicks in. 
because I forgot where I was and I have to go back on my notes. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's okay. So, so maintain a positive, first of all, is stay positive in the way you think, right? right. Yeah. Because thoughts are the source of the deal. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, but I was going somewhere with that. What was it? I don't know. And I don't have aphasia, but this happens <laughs> yes, to me all the time. Awesome. And it was going to be a all, party, all the time. The first part yeah. is thoughts are critical. I mean, that's the most important yeah, yeah. positive thought. Did you, what question did you ask me that I was trying to answer? Well, I'm just wondering about, you know, how the professionals reacted and what kind of questions they had for you once they realized that you were, you, you now are doing the impossible. You're coming back into the office and you're doing shit you're not supposed to be able to do. Right. Yeah. Did they have questions for you? Did yeah. they want to know how you did it? Yes, yes, they did ask me how I did it. Um, they were. I th- I think that I think that one lady that I talked to may have been raised uh, the way you and I were because as soon as I mentioned uh-huh. God, uh, uh, Dad's Bible, she thought it was a miracle. Right, 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 right. But, you know, because the Bible was involved. Yeah. Um, they were aware of singing. I didn't know about that. Oh, I figured that out on my. They book. knew that singing helped, right? But okay. not reading out loud. They they had never known that, and that really was the first step. Was reading out loud. Yeah, it was like absolutely. Yeah. the first step was reading out loud. I think I think you told me that one of the things you did during reading out loud was that when you hit uh, like an adjective. You yes. would force yourself to come up with three or four uh, synonyms uh, and then throw synonyms. antonyms. Yeah. 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 And then you could go on to the next word. Right. Yeah. Because those are the descriptive words are what is the most difficult for me. You know, the hard right, words, right. the nouns are easy, but it's yeah, the descriptive yeah. words. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that was, and I haven't done it in a while. I probably ought to start doing that again. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's other things that I did. And, you know, another reason I'm sure that I had my stroke is I was working too hard. Yeah. My yeah. life was sedentary. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was stressed out because of the way I thought. Um, yeah. But I was doing the same thing every day the same way. Yeah. So yeah. I start changing things up. Um, yeah. I, if I'm on the treadmill at my house, sometimes I walk backwards. Oh, really? Yeah. Never okay. passed, but it uh-huh. changes it. Um, I tried doing things with my left hand. Oh. Um, grocery shopping. You know, you go grocery shopping, you do it the same way every time. Reverse it. Or here, this is good for me. Uh, remember when you and I were kids and we used to try to, I mean, dad wouldn't turn the radio on because he didn't like that racket. And yeah. for those long. That was his word too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I listen to that racket. So, you yeah. know, we had games and one of them, can you name all 50 states? And we did yeah. it alphabetically. Right. So that's kind of challenging. So when I go grocery shopping, I'll alphabetize the list. But then what oh. I try to do is I try to memorize the list. So I'm mm-hmm. not shopping the same way. I'm going around the store a different way. I'm going all different directions. Plus, I'm trying to memorize my list or remember my my list. Anything to change up, just just to to change the routine. I'm an anti routine yeah. guy now. 
And it sounds to me like more and more now you are living in the present. Oh, man. Daytight compartments. Man, yeah. I tell you, Nate, I was living I was living in the future more than I was living in the in the past. I was worried about the future. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So all that future tripping and then trying to anticipate and prepare. And it's just because you're trying to exercise control over something that's beyond your control to anticipate something you cannot see, which only is going to ratchet up the stress. Yeah. 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 And, you know, so you're still in the business and the business is still as cyclical as it ever was. Right. We had a big week last week and we're sucking wind this week. Right. Yep. Yep. But uh, but you, you're taking a much more relaxed and philosophical approach to that right now. Right, I am. I have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I guess, yeah, um, yeah. I was trying to control the future, wasn't I? I, yeah, I was worried. Sure. You know, that my biggest worry is: does everybody in the company are they going to make enough money? You know. Yeah, I, know, I, I don't yeah, want yeah. them handing yeah. out. Uh, you know. Food samples. Pink slips. Yeah, right. You know, I won't lose them either. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I tried learning Spanish, Nate. What's that? Well, Emily, my daughter Emily is, is, lives down in uh, Paraguay. And I thought, boy, if I, if I try to learn Spanish, there's another language, brand new pathways. Uh, Ooh. I'm not very good at it. That's hard. Before my but school. you're working on Spanish, are you work, really? Working on Spanish. Because language, How is, language cool is, is that? language. Right, yeah, yeah. Language is a wow. gift. Language is a gift that that I took for granted until it was gone. Wow. Um, and of course you need language, I mean, just for everyday tasks. You need ang- uh, language for, you know, to have a, a meaningful life and for communication. Um yeah. The isolation, yeah. the isolation was absolutely the worst thing. There's not even a close second. The worst thing yeah. I've ever experienced. Yeah. And I and I'm yeah. thankful yeah. for my my siblings because you know, uh, phone conversations are easier because it's just me and the other person. There's no distractions. Um, I have yeah. a hard time of if there's a, a conversation with more than one person. But, you know, over the past almost six years, I could always pick up my phone and call yeah. sibling. Yeah. Uh, just to hear a voice, just to connect. Um, yeah. Yeah. Save my yeah. life. Save my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, it's an inspiring story, Dan. And uh, uh, you may very well be. You probably are my closest friend in this world. You're the one I've known the longest you and sam and uh, yeah uh i'm so grateful that we didn't lose you and uh even though that you know lifeline of communication was cut for a while i'm so glad that you worked as hard as you did to get things reconnected i'm thankful that it has worked out spiritually and emotionally uh to your benefit I don't know that any, uh, you know, I wouldn't wish a stroke on anybody. Right. Uh, But I, I'm optimistic that your story is going to bring some hope 
to some people, I hope even so. those who, who've not suffered a stroke, but who just think, my brain is so messed up, right. it can never be fixed. Right. And your message is? You can fix it. It's, a, yeah. it's an amazing self-healing machine. Right. And if we will not give in to despair, and we will trust that it actually can. We can make new neural connections until the day we die. Yes, we can. If we're determined to do it. That's right. Well, thanks, Dan. Thanks so much for sharing your story. Uh, listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. All right. Crazy. Your brother's (laughs) like, I know you're super smart. I used to have great short-term memory, and now I don't remember anything. And you remember tons of stuff. But your brother, like you had, you guys had good genes. He's super Mm. smart. Yeah, yeah. He's a smart guy. So it's, it's not just that he's a hard worker. He's clearly super smart, but Hmm. there were a number of things that struck me. I mean, his description of those strokes he had were terrifying to me, by the way. I don't think I've ever listened to someone talk about something that I didn't think, oh my gosh, I don't want to go through that. Yeah, yeah. That's really scary. And you were a part of that. I mean, when he was calling you and leaving messages... Oh man, man! When I when I you know when I got that first notice from him, you know a one line email that had taken him an hour to write, telling me that he'd had a stroke. Uh, I, I was just uh, I was terrified, and uh, and frankly hopeless. I was hopeless, and uh, you know I went to despair early. Dan, thankfully. Uh, did not. And even though he was not getting encouragement from doctors or from therapists, he was determined to find a way to fight his way back. So have you felt that? I mean, this wasn't what I was thinking to ask, but have you felt that same way as Ali has gone through medical things that you go to hopelessness quickly? Uh, No, because she beats me to it. Uh, <laughs> that is a strange response, but go no, on. Yeah, so so I have to counterbalance. I'm I'm forced. I'm forced to be the uh, the hopeful one, uh, the believer, the optimist, uh, that we can do this guy. So so you're uh, just the devil's advocate with whomever. This guy's hopeful. You'll be hopeless. She's hopeless. You'll be hopeful. It's the yin and the yang, man. Wow. All right. And you don't even know which one you are. Uh, When he described having no inner dialogue, I can't even wrap my mind around that. Because as he talked about it, I thought, well, sure, that makes sense. There are so many inner dialogues I have about things I'm not even aware of because my brain's just functioning. Yeah. And so when he was describing no inner dialogue, I literally couldn't even wrap my mind around 
what that meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We think in words. Um, yeah, uh, we don't necessarily feel in words, but we think in words. And when we lose the capacity to form words, to find and form words, it apparently, I mean, drastically impairs our ability even to think. Yeah. So he was put in a position with stuff doctors was saying to have to figure out so much stuff on his own. Yeah. And I mean, A, that made me frustrated with his doctors, as I have been mm-hmm. frustrated with many doctors who are still practicing uh, <laughs> being doctors. Yeah. 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 The, those practicing physicians, man. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure they were doing their best, but. Here he is using YouTube and other things to work stuff out. Yeah, yeah. And part of me felt like he's a special guy for ignoring the authorities around him. Yeah. And pressing in towards, no, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. And I don't know if that requires being a special person or just deciding, okay, I can take a, a special path. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of people who are told who they are. It doesn't have to be a medical thing. It can be with their struggles, with their addictions, with whatever. Here's who you are. Here's what you have to do. Yeah. And sometimes you find out that's not true. Yeah. And uh, Dan has never been compliant. He's the rebel in the family. Uh, You know, he's the guy who went out the window and ran away. He did all the things in – during his teenage years that I waited until my twenties and thirties to do. Um, and, uh, so yeah, a good way to make sure that Dan is going to do something is to tell him he shouldn't, or he can't. Uh, and this is where, you know, his, you know, rebellion really paid off. Wow. How, what's the right way to encourage people towards the appropriate version of rebellion? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of rebels who just get themselves stuck in the mire. Yeah. And and that rebellion does not find the, fuck you. You say I can't do this? Here I yeah. go. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and even the stuff he talked about with like singing to connect the, the mm-hmm. neural information, which is so much a part of Jewish education when you look at certain psalms and ways that early synagogue, well, even before synagogues, just Jewish education revolved around singing and rhyming. Mm-hmm. And, and and my mom and I did that. I When he said that, I immediately thought to my elementary school. I had to learn a verse every week at the school I was at. And I still remember things like, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. First Thessalonians five eighteen. That's just wow. That was that was me and my mom sitting there like, here's your verse for the week. Here's your yeah. We're gonna we're gonna make a song. Like our brains connect to that, and so when he said sure. that, I'm like, yeah, our brains connect to that. And even when his brain was struggling, song rhythm to do mm-hmm. something to clapping, and so the fact that he did that and it changed so much i just wonder how much he was stuck in this spot in this corner where he couldn't do anything but so many of us need to work through that same process but we're not as desperate as he was yeah 
But man, it would be good. His chalkboard visualization, writing notes, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff would be so good for many of us, but we're not terrified. Yeah, and you know what this points out to me is that there is room still for inventiveness, discovery, and creativity in recovery. Um, I, I think we sell uh, – our Heavenly Father <laughs> short, uh, the Holy Spirit short, we sell ourselves short when uh, we conclude that all there is to know about recovery has already been discovered. Every method has already been created. And uh, for us, it's going to be a paint by numbers exercise. Hmm. Um, I, I'm, I don't, th- yeah, I think that we limit our options. And I I think there are still therapies for recovery from any addiction that have yet to be discovered. And hopefully some of us in the Samson Society will contribute in that direction. I'm inspired to, I've been thinking more out of the box since talking to my brother. And I hate that phrase, but I don't know a better one. Uh, But questioning accepted wisdom and uh, being willing to start coloring outside the lines a little bit to find out if there aren't more things that we can do to uh, uh, encourage and enable healing. Well, maybe that means, hey, if conventional wisdom is working for you, keep doing it. For right. sure. That's great. But if you find yourself, if you find yourself still stuck, yeah. then don't give up and say, well, I'm just not the kind of person can that can ever find healing, that can ever find whatever. I need to push in a little bit more. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, a big thing that Dan said was I was lonely. No one else knew what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And then he found the aphasia support group. Like he <laughs> put the effort in to yeah. find anyone who could find that connection he could yeah. find that connection with yeah. and so again connection was deeply important to this process for him because yeah. without that you know we just feel alone isolated we don't know what we're gonna do and he was able to go outside of the box after that and it takes well, discipline. I'm curious to s- it takes work it takes discipline yeah. it takes work This isn't about it being easy and finding the easy solution. Mm. So that, I mean, that's so important because every time I've muddled through something, I'm usually first looking for the easy solution. Yeah. uh, The the other thing I think that stuck out to me was Dan made recovery, this recovery, his job, his number one priority. Uh, and he could have, you know, just lapsed into passivity and self-soothing. He could have just made peace with, you know, what is and, uh, you know, drifted off into twilight, um, busied himself with other things. But he made recovery his job, his number one priority and stuck with it for a long time. Uh, he's still, it's still he's, his, it's still yeah, his I was going to say, even with the conversation with you that he made notes and he, yeah. you know, he, he has come up 
<coughs> sorry, <laughs> inhaled phlegm. It's all mm. good. Uh, but anyways, even with the conversation with you, he still processes things differently than yeah. before he went through this. Yeah. And I think that's the idea of long-term recovery versus silver bullet solutions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm eager to hear uh, what our listeners have to say about this episode. Uh, you can reach us, of course, at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we also, uh, Aaron, we've got a big episode coming up soon. We're going to hit the big 300, our 300th yeah. episode coming up. Yeah. So what So what we're asking for is uh, we want to just make this a personal time. We have had uh, emails over the years asking personal questions about us or the podcast so we're just, we want to make it a whole time for you guys to write in questions. Uh, go ahead. Make us uncomfortable. Now I kind of want to retract that I just said that, but not <laughs> not entirely. That could be a lot of fun. Send in whatever yeah. you want to know. Yeah. Or comments, whatever you want us to know. So uh, we're looking for, uh Yeah. Feedback, memories, pleasant memories. Uh, has the podcast p- played a role in your life and in your recovery? If so, we'd sure like to hear it. Uh, we, you'll need to get on it, though, and get those in soon because that 300th episode is coming up very quickly. Send your input for the show, for the 300th show, to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Super curious. Well, Aaron, I think that does it. Yep. Yep. That's it. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Send in your emails for the 300th episode. (laughs) The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.